Hello guys, hope you are well. Just wanted to do a quick update. No proper guest this week unless I get one pretty soon, but have got a football legend, local footballer, but well known throughout the country, hopefully coming on soon. A couple of guys actually. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm just kind of unwinding, digesting the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival last week. Just wanted to give you a couple of um, takeaways from that regarding health, fitness, whatever else. It kind of hosted five events, seminars, discussions um, over the course of the week. The first one was at SLG, which is a kind of cosmetic slash design company. They've got laboratories, but also help branding around companies like Superdry, other um, big name brands, and also work with uh, the new celebrities of the internet, kind of bloggers, um, influencers, that kind of stuff. So real kind of forward-thinking company run by a guy called Miles Dunkley, who was a big skateboarder in his time and actually chatting to him. He used to coach his um, son's football team and a hockey team as well. So he's kind of got a sports angle as well. But it, this was all about architecture in their brand spanking new facility, 30,000-foot facility um, in Cheltenham, near the brewery district, near Urban Outfitters, Closed Store. If you kind of know where it is, I'd walk past it loads of times, not been aware, but it's quite something inside. Huge expanse of space. They've got a kind of runway down the centre of it or freeway for uh, skateboarding. There are actually skateboards there to get from one end to the other. There's uh, ping uh, pinball machines. There's loads of other cool stuff, an orange room. Um, there's a kind of uh, container which has been converted into a shop. It's a kind of prefabricated container, a sort of mat on made bespoke for the uh, for the venue. Really cool chill out rooms, bean rooms, meditation rooms, hammocks. Really interesting. And the whole topic of that was sort of well being and architecture, how it influences how we feel, the prerequisites. And when we came in there, it was the evening, a beautiful September evening. The sun was streaming in through these tall, probably twenty foot, twenty five foot kind of high windows and there's a guy on called Ben Channon who's an architect on the panel who was saying that uh, apparently if we don't experience enough daylight if an office doesn't have daylight then we sleep on average 46 minutes less I believe it's because serotonin is formed from the UV light which converts to melatonin at night which is like a sleepy feeling so the importance of daylight is really prominent particularly if you're working a standard nine to five which uh, I rarely do but if you do that Monday to Friday in the winter months in the UK when it's dark when you arrive at work, dark when you leave, you've got a narrow window at lunchtime perhaps to get that um, that ability to to get some UV. And I know that Matthew Walker, the sleep expert, actually on another podcast, heard him on Tony Wrighton's Zestology podcast. He's also done Joe, Joe Rogan's as well. He was talking about how it should be in the morning trying to get 10 or 20 minutes light, but this would be facilitated potentially or helped by having light in um, through the window. So that's a big part of well-being at work. And also there, there was a discussion of having sort of smaller rooms for more introverted people because a huge open plan office and apparently extroverts thrive in that scenario. Although apparently people predominantly still email in an open plan office, people who are a couple of uh, desks down from them rather than go over. It's kind of strange, counterintuitive. But saying that introverts do prefer more of a kind of relaxed environment and they've got big uh, businessmen coming in here that make take their shoes off and put them into the yoga mats and stuff. So it's an interesting, that kind of idea of, of how the office and the sense of being in a good place, got lots of tropical plants there and the influence of, of nature on us and how it makes us feel better, primarily because we were in nature till relatively recently is the theory in terms of our evolution. Uh, we're hunter-gatherers, I think, until 10, 
12,000 years ago, maybe something like that, became agriculturists. And then since the industrial revolution, I guess we've been inside, but it's relatively recent, isn't it? A couple of hundred years. It seems to be more intensely so because less people are working the land than, than ever before. So it's, uh, that was a good talk. Then Wednesday was an optimal health chat held at the Queen's Hotel in Cheltenham. There was two GPs, Dr. Ranoff Crook, Dr. Simon Whiteside, who are both separate separate practices in Gloucestershire, active general practitioners, but also set up the Optimal Health Clinic in Cheltenham. Now, the concept of this is kind of, as I've got five GPs in my family, I know the scenario is this sort of slightly frustrated, potentially see a business opportunity as well, but slightly frustrated and about the the mechanics of, of general practice medicine, where you get eight minutes to see patients and often it's chronic lifestyle issues. I think over 3 million people now in the UK have type 2 diabetes. It costs the NHS £12 billion a year. And considering that type 2 diabetes is reversible through exercise and lifestyle, it's frustrating, but often people want and expect. It's just a cat trying to get in my back door. It's kind of aggressive cat. Strange. Um, can't get in our cat flat, fortunately. Anyway, <laughs> apologies for that. They talk about that sort of system not working and how you know there's a, there's a sense that unless the lifestyle issues can be addressed the nhs is unsustainable a lot of the debate is around how much money we put into it but it's not really how much money is going out and a lot of that is lifestyle issues particularly in other areas of the country depression and anxiety as well so i think they were talking about having a more holistic approach in this optimal health clinic which is on st george's road where you can go and be a private customer and actually look at your epigenetics so look at your genetic um dna how you might be susceptible to certain diseases like type 2 diabetes or cancers or things like that, how you can adapt your lifestyle to encompass that. So that was fascinating. They actually said their biggest takeaway, the two GPs, biggest advice would be just to get movement. If you're looking to live longer, live healthier life, their general advice would be if it's a 30-minute walk, if it's a 10-minute walk, if it's going to the gym, if it's not, if gym's not your style, do something else, just move the body. Again, that throws back to the concept that until relatively recently we would have been active and obviously had harsher conditions and for a period as hunter-gatherers I think we'd be made 25 would be lucky but I think generally that the body needs to be worked was their theory um in terms of variety of food there was a couple Rosie Letts nutritionist and Sue Thomas gut expert on the panel uh, Rosie also does gut work as well and emphasizing kind of variety of vegetables things like that for gut bacteria flora um having a, a rounded Diet, not necessarily about the probiotics, but how important fiber is to provide a core place for the private probiotics to live. That was the analogy was that it was like having kind of uh, plants without manure, seeds without manure. So putting seeds into a kind of you need that environment fertilizer and maybe not fertilizer. That's probably the wrong thing, isn't it? It's chemicals, but manure and and something for it to grow. And similar to that, you need a lot of different types of plants through your gut system to encourage the probiotics to work and healthy gut bacteria to work. And they were talking about how that can affect your psychology, things like positivity versus depression. A lot of it comes through the gut as well. So that was an interesting chat. Second part of that panel on optimal health was James Golden, who is known as the fitness pro, really experienced fitness instructor, had his gym uh, in London, came out now based in the Cotswolds. He is the kind of de facto trainer fitness expert for the Bamford family who among other things really aristocratic wealthy family own Dalesford Organic Cafe and they're building a new gym complex that's in Morton on the Marsh which I think is still in Gloucestershire maybe borderline Oxfordshire I'm not sure but um, nice nice place 
and they're building a sort of a 400 member sort of luxury resort there and James was just talking about how he does DNA testing with his elite clients now he's, he's worked previously I think at points for Roman Abramovich on a yacht in Antibes I think was one of the uh, the recollections and he's worked for the Queen's Park Rangers football team as well at different times but his the new thing is DNA testing around fitness aptitude to take a saliva swab take it away see what type of exercise you'd be suitable for, weights, endurance type. I'm not sure as well, we didn't get into it too much, tried to elaborate that perhaps you would also want to counterpoint people's natural aptitudes with reinforcing their weaknesses. It's that whole kind of based on your strengths or weaknesses, but gives him a sense of your potential, I suppose, in those areas. And also food intolerances, things like that can come out of the DNA testing, um, which again was similar to what the GP said on the previous panel that night. And also... Uh, Interesting, Kimberly Penner, who's of Spanish heritage, is a psychotherapist specialising in dance movement. And she was talking about the healing benefits and psychological and physical benefits of dance. And interesting, she said that you can get through that initial, I say she's of Spanish heritage, but the initial kind of maybe uh, apprehensive aspect of British culture. We're not keen dancers, are we? So you can leave it to the experts and maybe it's a little bit of a kind of taboo. But as you get through that, people start moving, relax, endorphins flow, and a sense of confidence as well from, from being in control of their body and feeling their body. It's, I guess, related to mindfulness and being present and things like that too. Uh, so that was good. Thursday night was powerful discussion at the Parabola Arts Centre on Bays Hill Road in Cheltenham, which is owned by the Ladies' College, but it's an impressive kind of mini theatre set up. And we had uh, subjects of human connection, and the campaign to end loneliness. And it was, I guess, fronted the panel by Andy Naser, who recently lost his wife, but has profound experiences, which I hadn't known until we started the discussion, on the subject of loneliness. And he was talking about that, but I hadn't, wasn't aware that his wife had passed, but he's been heading up the, the campaign to end loneliness since 2010, 2011, around that time. And it's because 9 million people suffer from loneliness, which is a subjective emotional state sense of loss, a sense of disconnect with other people, a sense of isolation, rather than just a de facto, objectively, do you live alone, etc, etc. Four million of the nine million affected by loneliness are older people, which is kind of a physical reality of sometimes not being able to get out of their home to connect with people, literally. And more concerned as a sort of elaboration on the, the panel, we had Nick Durden, who's a journalist who's explored this, has written a book about it, worth looking up d-u-e-r-d-e-n his surname is written in the guardian and other things but he wrote a book about how we should live more connected lives and kinder lives uh on the wake in the wake he was asked to write it of joe cox the mp's assassination who'd also worked on the end of uh, loneliness campaign as well um so it's in the kind of her honor i suppose david owen's written a book who was a he was an author on the panel about a girl called Katz who has a digital identity, which when that disappears, almost her physical form tends to disappear. So they were talking about the loneliness of the modern age in terms of kids in their bedrooms, connected theory through iPads and Playstations and whatever else to, to the outer world, but lacking perhaps that human connection. That relates again to the outdoor stuff, the light, daylight and things, and the health and the well-being of that, but also the importance of looking in someone's eyes and connecting and speaking. As I know as an extrovert, as you can tell, I can talk. Uh, I think that's a big thing for me is um, a sense of loneliness. If I'm away for a period of time, I think Joe Rogan on his podcast referred to it as a strange sort of lingering sadness when you're away from your family and being in hotel rooms and stuff. When I do that for work, not a huge fan of 
of that sensation, although you have to deal with it and live, learn to live with it. I think introverts can require that sort of short-term isolation, but it's that long-term chronic lifestyle issue that's a problem. And on that panel uh, that night as well, there was uh, several kind of just discussions around what we can do to help people literally with older people and go and visit them and then with digital technology ourselves, just try and circumnavigate the urge to text them or maybe call them, arrange a meet-up. And they're saying how in the uh, the smartphone era, it's very easy to cancel meetings and rather than go and see a friend, but how important it is the, the, the benefits of uh, doing that. And then after uh, that discussion, there was a Saturday discussion at that I hosted informally in Hotel de Van, which is on Parabola Road in Cheltenham, very close to where I live. And in that discussion, we had Dr. Oscar Duke and uh, talking about positive parenting. We also had a psychologist uh, on in that one as well. Dr. Oscar Duke hosts events on Radio 1, Radio 2, and has been on AE 24 hours as well. And it was uh, interesting uh, talking to him about the um, aspects of being a father. He's written a book, How to Be a Dad, and the fluidity of that, and how perhaps our fathers aren't the best role models, not through fault their own, but how they're shipped and shaped, they didn't have paternity leave, didn't have an expectation of childcare. And there was no real support for a dual working parenthood in that time. So it's a different thing and also touched upon the loneliness of, of potentially uh, being a dad. In that setting, we had Tanya Reed. I say Tanya, uh, num- surname maybe leads me, but I think Reed might be an actress, Tanya, Tanya Reed. But Tanya was, um, you can look all this up on Cheltenham, wellbeingfestival.com, is a psychologist who's worked not only with kids, young kids and how the importance of dads to roughhousing them was one of the comments she made but also boundaries saying that for toddlers but she's also talked about teens and she's gone through a family her nephew has transformed gender to uh, be a woman I believe and we talked about that process and supporting people understanding that whole kind of idea and just the general tenets of being parents disciplined being engaged being connected and some of that sort of complexity of guilt versus self-care spending time particularly with babies do you go and exercise do you, do you devote time to yourself and the importance of self-care and where that boundary is to being I guess self-involved you know if you go away for weekend cycling every other weekend perhaps that's uh, excessive if you're leaving your other partner your partner at home with uh, with the baby or with your kids so it was uh, it's a thoughtful discussion I recommend the book how to be a dad by Dr Oscar Duke and then great discussion rounding up on Saturday night, uh, lessons from the extreme world on uh, adventures and survival. John Hudson, who's the chief uh, survival instructor for the UK military, based in Cornwall now, works with the RAF, but across the services in the British military and talks about the lessons. He actually instructs people in reality in in terms of if their plane goes down in in extreme conditions, the Arctic. He's been worked there. He's worked in the desert. He's worked at, at sea. And he said to seize the most dangerous, most potent killer of people who uh, are stranded and isolated from a from an incident. But he talked about how we can relate the lessons of survival, the simplicity of thinking to our everyday life. Tackle the shark that's closest to us, that to-do list. Don't get waylaid in emails. Focus on what the most important pressing thing is and be systematic. Because he says in a survival situation, for example, your best bet is to try and move towards a place where you can be rescued rather than worry about food because you can go without food for a long time, in fact, and things like that. So that was quite eye-opening and it actually did help me a little bit. He's got a book, How to Survive 
lessons for everyday life from the extreme world, which I'm reading at the moment. And John Hudson's survival is on social media worth uh, looking at that. Also, Pip Stewart spoke that night and we had a panel discussion as well, talking about her trip down the Escuibo River in uh, South America, Guyana. She followed it from source to the sea through kind of incredible Amazonian jungle, almost got bit by a snake, did get a flesh-eating parasite from a sandfly biting her, just about survived that. She's now pregnant, but it's just incredible. Look at this story and the realities of the animals they had to kill to eat and the people, the locals who helped them through that process and some of the people there are still kind of isolated from the modern world and you wonder if you'd want them to be in the modern world, even despite the kind of severe natural uh, threats on their doorstep do we live in a more stressful world in some ways and she kind of said that a jaguar coming through her camp was similar to the emotion of getting a text message similar to the stress response so it was amplified but she could see then the little shots of stress we get all day when we get repeated messages the jolts to our system the amygdala the adrenaline system firing things like that and i think i'm definitely cognizant of that and trying to be aware of not being on my phone getting those messages and trying to walk away from the phone sometimes go out for a stroll and leave it at home. So that was uh, fascinating. Also, Leanne, uh, Leanne, Dr. Leanne K. Simpson was on the panel who said she was really scared, was introverted, and it was a big thing for her to come in a public uh, situation like that. So probably 80, 90 people in the audience. But actually, she was fantastic and spoke really eloquently about the extreme experiences of people in the military and the after effects psychologically. And interestingly, she says that although we sort of liken and, and immediately think in common media circles about post-traumatic stress and the impact of an extreme situation like war on soldiers, in fact, that's only accounts for 7% have that adverse reaction. They're trying to work out whether it's nature or nurture, what determines who has a negative reaction to extreme situations after the event and who is actually strengthened. So she says 90% plus people are actually strengthened, emboldened, feel like they've done something worthwhile and altruistic and have a confidence and self-belief for executing. So actually that's a kind of fascinating aspect to think that when we put ourselves in extreme situations, we worry about the stress afterwards, don't we? And the kind of haunted feeling, perhaps mirroring a war situation in our personal life, but often we're strengthened by it. That kind of theory of it doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing. So it's a fascinating event, it's Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival, I believe the ladies who organise it, Alex Davison and uh, Lottie Keeble-Wyatt are committed to doing one next year and bigger and better than ever before, sold thousands of tickets in the end, it really kind of uh, G'd up as the week went on, the momentum snowballed around the festival and it's fantastic to see, it's great to be a part of it, learned a lot and I think the general consensus is move a bit, get outdoors and connect with people be social, that's from, from what I saw, and with being a parent, you know, look after yourself as, as well as the kids, but just think about it and talk about it with your other half or friends, family, whoever it might be. Anyway, hope that was of interest to you guys. Just a little takeaway. Let me know if you, you find these useful. Please review it on iTunes as well. We'll get um, some good guests on and just trying to speak to people connected to the sport world because that's my day job working in sports, Sky Sports News as a broadcaster but also people with interesting stories, being in business, health, well-being, things that can hopefully be useful and uh, instructive for you. But love to know what you think of these little audio blogs as well. You can contact me on social media, edddraper81 on Twitter, ed underscore draper81 on Instagram. On LinkedIn, I think is Ed Draper, might be Edward Draper, more of a formal platform, although it seems to have um, 
kind of uh, softened up a little bit more. It's more uh, relaxed now. And Facebook, I've got a page, but don't go on Facebook that much, which I think is still maybe a, an aberration on my part because there's still a lot of people on there, aren't there? But anyway, good to just to reflect on the, the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival. It's a noble goal. Uh, one of the organisers, Alex, her dad, is a cancer survivor, so she wanted to look at preemptive aspects of health and wellbeing so we can stop getting these chronic lifestyle issues. And cancer, obviously, on the rise, has been for the last 50 years or so in general. And Lottie's a fitness instructor based in Cheltenham and sort of all-round fitness guru. So she's fantastic driving and energetic force and there's so many people turned out to support it their friends and family and really make it happen both their dads were out in force setting up the sets and organizing the whole thing and making sure the guests were well catered for it was a great week so look it up when the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival rolls around 2020 cheers guys take it easy